0: The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. We are here with a top four finalist of the Las Vegas Open, Sam Pope. Sam, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing all right, Nick. How are you doing?
1: I am doing great thank you for asking one of my favorite things in Warhammer is Tyranids and Tyranids have not gotten the limelight in recent history we've had Eldar we had chaos space Marines, now Necrons but you know what the Tyranids are here and they're here in force we have a horde unending swarm army of Tyranids coming out of nowhere literally in the space of these chosen rhinos and in these incarns to make top four of LVO only to go down to our eventual winner who we will have on the show for you next week so in today's episode we're going to get to know the man behind the army we're gonna get to know Sam his play style his approach to the game how he makes unending swarm of all variations work and kind of what that's about in part two that's going to be for our subscribers on our Patreon aow40k.com they're going to get the good stuff we're going to go through the actual games played the tactics the strategies literally how sam piloted his army to the top four so if you're interested in learning the game and becoming your best definitely subscribe on aow40k.com all right sam talk to me about yourself how'd you get into warhammer
0: well i was trying to think about it and prep for this but i played when i was um younger when i was like 12 or 13 with my brother my cousin got into the game and um i thought it was super cool so i bought like five I think I bought the original termagant kit back in fifth edition uh, fourth edition uh, and uh, built that and then soon after built a blood Angels army and my brother and I would like play and, and go to go to little tournaments together but uh, you know I, I was young I still had the love for the game but I was young and so I just bought models that was you know cool for me and I with when you're young and you don't have a lot of funding, um, the old adage of just buy what's cool it turns out that makes it a little bit hard to play you know a competitive 40k so I'd go to these tournaments and I would just bring whatever I had on hand you know a, a storm raven with the fist on inside who, who turned invisible and ran around and uh, a ball predator here and some death company there but yeah <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun but uh, you know I, I ended up when I got a little bit older I just kind of stopped playing and um I kind of left the hobby for for a good while, uh, and then about a year and a half ago, I was in Denver for a short while for a job, and I was I didn't really know anyone there, and I was like, I think I'm going to get back into Warhammer. My brother Noah has been playing this game for you know a long time, and he's been i you know I learned Ninth Edition with him once, we like played a quick game, and it seems pretty fun, um, and you know maybe maybe I'll get back into it. Uh, and it, uh, quickly hooked me. I was, you know, working without, you know, knowing a whole lot in Denver. And I, I just kind of spent all my time learning 40 K I played on tabletop simulator a lot and I, um, painted a bunch of models and I, you know, over the course of a couple of months built up a a 2000 point tier in its list and got right back into it. And then I've been, you know, hitting, you know, those the grindstone ever since, going to a bunch of tournaments, playing a bunch of games. Uh, you know, I've been I've been back into it full tilt um, and
1: that's a pretty fast turnaround going from <laughs> coming back in the hobby to uh, a year and a half ago just deciding I'm going to get back into Warhammer To I saw you in top 16 of Nova was it maybe last August and now you're top 4 of Lvo That's quite the trajectory. Where did that come from?
0: I have always enjoyed you know str- strategic gaming. I think that it's really fun um to like, get as good as I can at it, and I, you know, I play some some long board games and stuff like that, and it's always been interesting to me. And so, I, it felt very natural to come back to it. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I get all this, this makes a lot of sense, and I just play a, a whole bunch of games on, you know, TTS, and, and then I feel like I, you know, have a, a general knack for at least certain play styles in the game, uh, which works out pretty well when I Need to jump right into tournaments. And I'm not going to say that I didn't lose, you know, a good few games at the start, but I, I tried not to make the same mistakes twice. And that helped me get pretty good at it. Pretty
1: fast. So I'm really curious about so many things here. Where I want to start, though, is your journey through TTS, because coming into the scene a year and a half ago, you know, there are established discords and TTS things, but the good players are mostly playing each other. It's hard to just even know where to get started. It's very overwhelming. So how did you navigate the Internet in terms of getting practice partners, then getting better quality practice partners, all the way up to practice partners, leading you to LVO-worthy top four results?
0: um i mean when i first was like i'm gonna get into to 40k i, I reached out to my buddy Braden, and i was like brayden do you want to get into you know warhammer with me i knew that he was kind of into the same sort of things but it was kind of a shot in the dark but i was like i, I kind of want a friend who i can get into this with uh, at the same time and he was he he said yeah totally 100 <laughs> percent. which is kind of a uh nice. you know That's it's always like fun yeah right, yeah, a, yeah jumped right into it Uh, and so we got into it together we painted a bunch of models together and um played online a a bunch versus each other and then uh, you know on the on the general discords and stuff i was throwing myself into different communities and online tournaments um and so like i played my friend brayden to get like familiar with the game and then i played in these like online tournaments to get you know better at the game and then once i you know moved back uh to the northeast where i am now uh back from denver i was pretty much ready with my full 2000 point army to start some in-person tournaments and i kind of hit the ground running because i was just like i'm gonna just go to a bunch of tournaments and so it was like twice a month i would go to a local rtt and i would just play a whole bunch um and you know, the Northeast has some some solid players up there, you know, uh, and you play enough and you win enough games over the course of, like, getting better, you're going to run into these good players and you're going to learn how to play even better. And it's now I'm here, I guess. I <laughs>
1: just, just the process of doing it. No, it's the humble way of getting better at this game. A lot of times you see the same names at the top of these conventions and these big, massive tournaments, and it's like, oh, yeah, I know everybody in top eight, but i you know coming out of nowhere for a lot of people is is you basically in this tiered army so i think it's really cool to see that the journey is one that isn't like there's some secret insular group it's really just hard work and you know over the course of a year and a half that is really exceptional you know people who i know have been playing for 15 20 years don't make top four of lvl that's pretty awesome
0: i i appreciate it i I I think I attribute that to a lot of practice and a lot of luck, I think, sometimes. But uh, I'm excited I got where I got.
1: Well, that's what we're here to talk about. So let's talk about your play style, because you mentioned that was part of your exploration in this game. And honestly, your play style is one that does not appeal to a lot of people, but some people (laughs) do a lot. The unending swarm. Well, you got 200 bodies in this army regenerating, coming back to life, moving multiple times. Like, How do you do that?
0: I when I got into 40k in ninth, um, you mentioned that tier nids were not, you know, haven't been good for a little bit. And at the end of ninth, or right before the end of ninth, nids were insanely strong um, and had a lot of movement tricks and things. But when I looked at the codex, the thing that stuck out to me was like, you know, I got in right when it was nid warrior spam, and so everyone was running these these warriors with the, you know, um, transhuman. And, like, minuses to hit, and, you know, it was just five-up interval, three wounds, regenerating, feel no pain. It was impossible to kill him. He could run so many. But it didn't really appeal to me because it, it wasn't—it um, didn't feel interesting to play. And so I turned really and I looked, models. <laughs> I, I Originally, I was like, I want to play— the spawning units, like, I'm looking at the Turvagon who can, you know, have a, a unit of 30 Gaunts, and you can respawn, like, 15 of them a turn. You give them have a 5-up and will 5-up Feel No Pain. Like, you can buff up this unit a lot, and then you can bump, spawn a bunch of Spore Mines. I was like, this is a lot of fun. And then, not even a month later after I, like, started getting into that and saying, like, I think I want this to be my playstyle, like, Warrior Spam got nerfed, and suddenly... That was the that was what you were doing, you know. You were using spores and the turvagon to like clear out areas of the board and stop movement and block people from getting through without taking a whole bunch of damage. And I had so much fun with that. Um, it was already what I wanted to do, and then became meta, and it was great. And then, you know, that got nerfed, and then tenth came around, and I was like looking at the tiered codex, and I was like, what? What can scratch that itch of like I want to stuff my opponent and limit their options so much that they feel like they can't play the same game as me like i they're playing the same game but all of their tools have been dulled and i like i have you know i've been chipping away at their sharp edges and now they can't really do what they want to and i was try- messing around with the normal tiernet stuff and then I, I saw someone out in california i think play a bunch of you know, swarm termagants, and I was like, that seems like a lot of fun. Like that seems like a sort of thing I can get down with. And I immediately just started buying up Leviathan termagants from people. Like, hey, fifteen bucks. You, you termagants are bad right now, right? Can I buy those off you? Or you know, not you know people who already had a bunch of termagants and were willing to get rid of them. And so I qu- quickly got a bunch of termagants and then spent too many hours painting them but maybe also at the same time not enough hours painting them somewhere in the middle um there's no right (laughs) yeah uh it was it was tough but uh suddenly i had this this list and i was taking it to small tournaments and it was doing really well Uh, before the tyranny codex came out we had you know invasion fleet and you could take the turvagon and you could take you know your termagant squads and you could take the free strats and you could respawn a whole bunch of termagants like you if the squad doesn't die which a lot of times it won't with minus 1 to hit and a five up field pain you could respawn it back up to a lot of strength and step back onto points and and get, you know keep scoring um and it was really well positioned into the Eldari meta at the time and because you know Eldari had these big um like
1: the Wraith Knights. And the Wraith, 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 Wraith
0: Knights. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, like, those are good at taking out Swarm because you just auto the six to wound and they, you know, it picks up like 12 and you're like, yeah, 12 is fine. <laughs> like, I, <don't, laughs> that's okay. I, it doesn't, you know, I can respawn that. Um, I just can't let the whole unit die. And you can generally pull away out of, you know, using coherency tricks and stuff like that, away from the the Wraith Knights and the Decanons and stuff like that. And it was... I took it to Nova, and that was my first super major. And And that was
1: before the Codex, right? That was the index teams that didn't support this play style as much?
0: It did not, yeah. But, I mean, I would say the list that I took would do not as well now. But it it did really well there because of the meta at the time. Because there weren't as many units that could pick up whole squads. That's not really what was being played. It was instead... You know, these, like, hyper-efficient damage profiles that would do a good amount of damage into anything.
1: Now, to uh, a degree, you're playing a sense of stat check on me, right? Or I'm sure yeah. a nuance to that. But, like, you have 200 bodies. If you're playing bring in melted guns and last cannons, that's not going to help much.
0: With Invasion Fleet, it definitely was that. And But more than that, it was, like what do I do? Right. Like you, you bring that to the table and your opponent is immediately like, I, I am stressed out of my mind. Like, how do I, what do I target? Do I target the support pieces? Do I just shoot down into these like endless horde? Like, what do I, how do I prioritize my units to, to make the most of it? And a lot of times they would make the wrong decisions where they'd be like, I'm going to target the hive tyrant in the back. who's giving out free field pains. And it's like, yeah, sure. Do that. I'll score, you know, another 15 on primary. Like it, it, it's hard to, in the moment, learn how to play against that list. And then once I you do know how-
1: You a surprise it. factor? Like, you yeah. oftentimes people's first game into this archetype, right?
0: Yeah, I think there is a surprise factor. But the cool thing about the army is that you learn how- You play it once, and you think, oh, I should have done this. But then if you go back and you play it again, and you play suddenly, you're like, oh, I'm going to play super aggressive this time. Well, if you play super aggressive, suddenly my army gets to push forward and surround you and, like, tag all your stuff and keep you, like, still because you moved up too far. So there's, like, I I think to play perfectly against the army, it takes a lot of tries. And even if you you know all the theory behind it, it's not necessarily going to work out when, when you put it on the table. Um, so, like, that was really enjoyable for me. And I ended up losing to some... You know, it was my first shadow round and I was exhausted and I, I made some silly mistakes, but um, it was it was a blast all around. And then I then this, the Codex came out and I was, you know, at first I was like, ah, you know, Invasion Fleet. I don't even know if the Endless Swarm has the tools to make it better than Invasion Fleet for the Swarm play. But um, that was not accurate <laughs> um, because the Endless Swarm uh, really had. Uh, a lot of fun tricks, and the first time I actually put it on the table, I was like, "Okay, I'm starting to see the sort of things that you can do with this list, and it is unlike m- much else in the game right now." And talked
1: about endless form, what are some? This is a detachment for Tyrants that's obviously supporting the horde style, but what are some like playbook strats and things you just take out of this detachment?
0: Yeah, I mean the the basic thing that I've noticed right off the bat is that the detachment has some really solid. Uh, battle tactic stratagems um and so you like to pair it with a hive tyrant who could give you a lot of good value out of it you know you get the auto six inch advance you get m- minus one to hit you get sustained hits on fives and all of those are on a hive tyrant which you get to do for free every turn and so compare that with just generating two cp every round you can respawn a whole unit into stra- you know into strat reserves and then you can That's the endless Right, hence the Endless, and you can, at the same time, be using a bunch of free strats off your Hive Tyrant.
1: And And not only that, but their their army detachment rule is basically Blood Surge, right? It lets you to move D6 inches whenever you're targeted and get into combat with people. How does that actually work?
0: Yeah, essentially, when you are shot with a shooting attack, if the shooting attack kills a model, uh, one of your swarm models, the unit gets to move D6 inches. And it has to go as close as possible towards the closest enemy unit. Um, And what that means is that the closest model of mine to the closest enemy unit has to move directly towards it. But every other model gets to go pretty much wherever they want because the unit has to end up as close as possible. But that doesn't mean every single model does. It means just the unit does. And so I can, you know... Push closer with one, but swing another to swing onto the objective. I can, you know, you can shoot me once and I could push forward. And at the same time, I can swing around to block, like move block some other stuff or like block a charge target. Um, And I can do it multiple times a phase. You shoot me once, you kill two, and you're like, all right, I'm good. But no, no, no. You have to, you know, like worry about that the whole phase. And it's, it's not even just in the shooting phase, it's in overwatch as well. So if I'm moving across the board and you overwatch me, you have to be aware of the fact that that's going to give me even more movement
1: this Um, all goes into the whole idea that your army is difficult to play against that very first second time you're you're doing it because there's so many factors it's not just like there's a bunch of gaunts on a hive tire and what's your target priority there's the gaunts are moving if you're targeting them and not targeting them is the primary and it can really get hairy is that the idea
0: that's the idea the coolest thing about the list in my opinion is that i don't usually have to worry about statistics in the sense that, like Eldari, still has to worry about you making your save, right? They can auto six, they can auto, you know, their advances and stuff, but they still have to worry about you making that save. Sometimes you have a four up and they can't do a whole lot about it. But uh, other than you know, death wounds. But you know, hear me out. Uh, I, <laughs> I, with with the swarm list, I, you know, auto six inch advance means that I can move like pretty much wherever I want to go. A lot of the times. And I don't really have to worry about killing a whole lot, because all I have to do is make sure that I have more OC on the objectives than you do. My resources are not my killing power or, you know, my my durability. My resources is my OC. Like, how often can I make sure that my objective control outnumbers yours anywhere on the board? And that is... It means that I don't really have to worry about like odds as much. Like I don't have to worry about low rolling a a you know five attacks. Oh no, I rolled three ones to hit, and suddenly like I'm I'm in a bad spot. It's you know I, I very rarely have spikes due to these rolls, and that is nice because like every Warhammer player, I think that I have the worst rolls anyone could have. <laughs> um, so it it's incredibly nice and. It also leaves a lot of room for, you know, me to make mistakes because what the army comes down to is, is move blocking and controlling enemy movement. Which is, like I said, what drew me to, you know, spore mines at the beginning and what draws me to swarm now is I really like controlling my opponent's movement and where they can go on the board. And having, for example, uh, a, a unit of 20 gargoyles that Moves in automatic twenty four inches because it moves twelve inches. It has an assault weapon. I can auto six inch advance, and it moves six after shooting. It means I can just deploy those on the line and can you know block off my opponent from getting where they need to go. And I will not ever be able to say I think that I can just roll up to a table and say, "Yep, easy win." Well, most of the time I can't uh, because most of the time people can pick up. Go to bodies but well,
1: that really if- leads me into my next question right so like you're really leaning into this and it's all about controlling the movement and you know we say warhammer's won and lost in the movement elements of the game so being able to block that physically and to gum people up that's an amazing approach to it and it's very proactive and the challenge here is that you're doing it in a way that lets you mitigate dice you don't have to kill stuff to win but if you don't kill stuff Your opponent, one, can just tee off on you every turn, just full blast, 100% offense. And that can sometimes, depending on your opponent, kill your Gaunts at a rate that's unacceptable. You know, well, I think, like, another army made of Wraith Guard is going to struggle to kill Gaunts at any meaningful pace with Wraith Cannons, some armies are like Orcs, you know, they have, like, 100 attacks, they'll just punch you to death. Like, obviously, the matchup plays a lot into the factor here, so we're going to obviously go through your games in Part 2. And I'm so impressed that you were able to go eight and one at this event. Like, that's really, it shows some consistency that I didn't think was there for this army. But how do you handle it when your opponent just has that offense and they can just destroy your guns at a rate that's ridiculous?
0: I think that the key is understanding that, I will say this over and over and over again, that my army is not a stat check army. Uh, if I, you're right that if I run into Eldar, it teched into anti-tank it is a little bit of a stat check. But I would say that 90% of armies that I roll up to the table and I look up across it, they have tools to pick up gaunts. So then I have to say, okay, they have like, let me count the tools that they have. And let me see how it works to get them into the places they need to go. And then based on that, how can I deny those tools as much value as I can? Against melee armies that comes with a lot of screening. The twenty the twenty man units are incredibly good at limiting charge targets. You run into an orc army and yeah, they have a lot of units that can pick up uh, you know, twenty man squads of termagants, but can they all connect if I'm strung out a neurogant like a ninety-point neurogant squad across the front of my deployment zone? Like, no, not really. They have to charge the neurogants. And then once that happens, I get to shoot, you know, 200 shots of spine fists and exocrine shots and whatever right in their face. Like, they they can't really do that as easily. And so they have to really play careful, and I have to play careful. Because if I accidentally let a unit get into my face in a place that I don't really want to, um, that unit will just die. And you—the other— Endless swarm player at LVO. Uh, nothing against them, but I think they went one and four. And I think that that's just if it's a stat check army, you would theoretically run into. And I think they ran like two hundred and fifty gaunts or something like that. Like you, you would theoretically run into opponents that you're just gonna instant win at. But I, it really, it doesn't it doesn't happen as much as you'd hope. And so you have to position your squads to move in ways to, to limit opponent movement. If you go first, it's great. Going first within the swarm is fantastic. For up until uh, the uh, ninth round of LVO, I had an 100% win rate in 10th edition with when I went first. Uh, I had played like 60-something games of Warhammer with this, with this list. I know that's not very much to maybe the pros out there, but I... I and i have lost to me too <laughs> i i hadn't quite uh i hadn't lost one yet when i go first because being able to gum up the board right off the bat even if your opponent has fly on all of their stuff they're not really going to be able to get everywhere they want to go so and then but then if you go second you have to think to yourself okay now i need to score end of turn and if i need to score end of turn that means i need to play incredibly safe like i need to sit with my squads and i need to hide them or if they get shot i need to pull out of the sight of the other stuff and then i'm going to like wait and bide my time limit opponent scoring by like sending gargoyles in a bunch of oc hormigaunts to limit their scoring they're not going to score very high and then on the last turns i can sweep in and i can you know score end of turn and and win like that and it It's really recognizing how many tools you have and how you can spend those resources to score your points whenever you can. And uh, that... Mostly comes from primary play, although my secondary play is is, can hold its own pretty well Uh, against the top armies in 40 K right now. it honestly, it just holds its own. I think that there are armies that are better than me at scoring secondaries. Um, And there are definitely armies that I'm better at scoring secondaries, but it, you know, it, it, it about equals out. So I really need a win on that primary
1: yeah I love your scoring emphasis I think that's that's definitely a hallmark of your gaunt staple right like if you're going to bring OC two everywhere focusing on primary is definitely the move and then it's a matter of strategically dying in a way that's sustainable like you just got to last for five turns basically right so screening is huge and then like in your orc example like you don't have zero offense you have enough offense for certain profiles so if you can line that up and all that then shooting armies I imagine you're pulling casualties to manipulate line of sight with walls and things like that so you have a lot of interesting play to try to technically keep your units alive through some shenanigans with the tiered army and there, like any moves like straight out of your playbook that aren't maybe as obvious to the commoner
0: um my favorite is whether i go first or second i i only use one squad of gargoyles because i i find that it's enough i use one and i they kill it and i respawn it But I'll I'll always deploy on the line. And if I get second, then I get one extra CP to play the game with. Because if I go first, I have to save both my CP for the round for the respawn. Because I'm going to send a unit in and it's going to die and I want to respawn it. But if I go second, I don't have the CP to respawn yet. So I get an extra one to work with. Which means generally I can deploy gargoyles on the line. And if I go second, they're going to shoot at the gargoyles. But I have uh, anti-blast strat. I have an extra minus one to hit. I have, you know, uh, some some pretty solid, you know, tools to keep the at least some of the models of the squad alive, um, which means that on my next turn I can send in like whatever's left of the squad, use it to move block a little bit, score some points and deny, you know, even if only five models are left, that's still OC 10 that moves 24 inches, you know, it's going to go deny a point and then probably die. Uh, doing it and then i get to respawn it on my next turn if i go first i get to send in all those gargoyles and i move block if i don't move block you know if they you'll fly or you can walk over me like knights or something like that i can instead sit in a place where if you want to contest the game at all like you want to step up and play um like an objective-based game, which 40K is, you're going to have to step near my gargoyles, and if you're near my gargoyles, that means if you shoot anything at them and you don't kill them in one hit, they're going to tag everything they can, and I'm going to I'm going to pull them in you know a bunch of different ways to make sure that everyone is is tagged, and if it's a vehicle, it's especially exciting for me because I can push into a vehicle, and I can push into like five different you know uh, units. And then the vehicle looks down and says, Well, I can shoot in combat. I'm going to shoot these gargoyles. And then I can pick up out of coherency because now that everything's tagged, I don't need to stay in coherency. I don't need to move anymore. So I pick up models out of coherency so that all that's left is just individual one like models holding a whole, you know, five units in melee across the board, um, which is incredibly frustrating to deal with because you suddenly have, you know, all of your. Model all of your units are stuck. They can't charge. They yeah, can't shoot. That's a hell shoot.
1: of an opening. Right? Like if you don't walk towards the objectives, then the gargoyles hold the objectives. And if you do walk towards the objectives, the gargoyles are going to engage you. And that—that's just crappy. That's like no one likes
0: that. Yeah. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's the it's the move I got, uh, and, and no, I don't regret using it at all, because it's really enjoyable. It's really fun to do.
1: So clearly your army's got a lot of technical minutiae going on about it. And these plays are, you know, that Gargoyle one is a great opener, and I'm sure as the game develops and it becomes its own snowflake of a game, you, you look for abusing and using your movement shenanigans in all kinds of ways. That takes a lot of mental capacity and a lot of mental load. Just keeping all your options open, making sure making sure your screening is spot on, so the orcs don't get through the gaps, or the enemy doesn't deep strike on you. Um, then there's the strategic elements of the game on a larger scale, and then there's moving 200 dudes. Like, let's just not picking around the bush about Warhammer, especially in LVO, is a chess clock based timed format. How do you manage your time? And then, like, how do you manage your time while you're playing your opponent? And then how do you manage your time while you're playing your opponent for nine rounds straight? Like, that's craziness.
0: Yeah, it is it is one of your resources, I guess is the way I'll say it. Like, you, time is a resource and is a currency that you spend when you do any action in the game. When I surge forward, I'm spending that resource. When I, you know, shoot a squad, a, you know, a termagant unit at some orcs, I'm spending that resource. And I have to be incredibly careful about what I'm spending that resource on when I play because termagants with 40 shots of twin linked shots uh, that can get sustained on fives, like that, that can pick up a lot of things. It can put wounds on pretty much anything in the game. But it takes a while to shoot because you are rolling, you know, 40 shots. You have to re-roll all the ones if your exocrine shot at first, and then you rolled a wound, and you're looking for sixes. You have to pick out all the other dice and re-roll them because it's twin-linked, and so it's it takes a long time to shoot them. And so a lot of times I'll be playing the game and I'll think to myself like I wish I could just do some damage here. Like I wish I could just shoot some turmians, but it's a time-based game and I can't do that.
1: And do I'm you really focus. make these kinds of decisions where you're like I'm just not going to shoot this unit, and I don't mean like shooting the term against the two up save redemptor that you're not even gonna really try to kill later on like skip that shooting activation but like there are times when you are like I would like damage but I need this minute of my clock more
0: it's it's generally like I will shoot something if I need it dead that's how I think about it and there are things on the board where it's like hey that is a unit of five knobs five knobs can do a lot of damage But I'm going to instead shoot an extra grenade at them, take it down to, like, three knobs. Now, with three knobs, like, you're not going to pick up a 20-man squad. Like, you're not going to—it kind of ends up being less useful to my army. Could I shoot 20 termagants and probably finish them off or at least deal a lot of damage? And then I don't have to deal with the threat at all? Yes, I could, but I'm not going to because it, it doesn't actually end up impacting my scoring from here on out. And i'm going to focus on the movement side of the game and focus on shooting and attacking with the things that that will actually have a big impact on what i can score moving forward um and it it is funny sometimes where i'm like yeah i'm not going to shoot that (laughs) or i'm not going to waste my time with it and my opponent's like oh okay but then they realize on their next turn like wait what do i do with this unit it's kind of like stranded and not very powerful and like, move blocked from getting on any any of the objectives, I guess I don't do a whole lot with it. Um, And I've saved time by doing that. And and not only is it shooting, but it's also, like, surge moves, where I think it's tempting with this army to go, I'm going to just surge forward every single time I get shot. Every time I use the model, surge forward, because if I can get, like, across the board, that's valuable. But sometimes you don't want to surge you don't need to surge if your unit is sitting on an objective and something has stepped on that's like oc1 um and you know it's not that big a threat or it's a vehicle or something like that you don't really need to worry about it especially if you're like behind cover you don't need to surge forward to tag something that's out of cover if you're already pretty hidden um you can just kind of keep hanging out and sometimes it'll be unfortunate because then on your next turn your unit is engaged and you don't really want them to be as much so it There's that side of the play, which is like, how can I make sure that every move that I'm making in this game has meaning and is working towards the overall goal of me scoring more points? And then there's the fact that playing against Endless Swarm takes time. It takes time because it is hard to decide where to go it's hard to think about like how do i make sure i can get past these screens how do i use my resources to make sure i'm getting the max value out of all of them and it's hard because it takes a lot of dice to shoot them like you have to roll to hit and you have to roll to wound and you like you you are rolling a lot of dice and a lot of attacks throughout your army that you're maybe not used to having to roll and so, while I might run out of time sometimes in a game where I have to shoot a lot, if I'm playing into orcs or I'm playing into like a Curse Cultist CSM, I really do want to shoot most of my Termagant shots if I can because they can put real damage onto a Curse Cultist. But on the flip side, they really want to be sh- like attacking with their stuff all the time as well. And so, I might be getting low on time, but I've never had a time where I'm the only one. Like, I, it generally is my opponent who is struggling more with it because they aren't as practiced they don't know how to conserve their time and you know make it count as much um it's it's not my favorite way to put pressure on a you know on an opponent but it is a serious part of the game that i think a lot of people are unprepared for is how to maximize your time with an army that didn't used to struggle with it but now they are because they're playing into you know 150 gods
1: Time management is an enormous factor in competitive Warhammer, depending on your format. Um, how diligent are you with the clock when you play? Is it like every time you touch a dice, move a model, you're flipping the clock and then flipping the clock back? Is What if your opponent is not as diligent? Because very few people tend to play that diligently.
0: I <laughs> I try to let it be mostly uh, up to my opponent, I guess is how I'd say. If, if I... If my opponent is uh, being super diligent about it and switching it back to me a bunch, I'm trying to match that. um, Where, like, uh, I'm going to, you know, you're going to Overwatch, you're going to do blank, I'm going to pass it, you know, back to you anytime that you react to my movement or you're thinking about something or you're deciding how to, to play, I'll switch it back to you. If we're, you know if you're playing and you're I'm like taking saves while you're picking up dice and to roll your next attacks then and we just kind of keep on playing it that it's fine I'll do the same thing Yeah, I have to pay attention to the game because I move models in almost every phase of the game. Like, I move it in my movement phase. I move it in my shooting phase. I move it in the charge phase and the fight phase. I move my opponent's movement phase and my opponent's shooting phase. And my opponent, like, I'm always moving. I like to focus on the board. Um, And so sometimes I'll be focusing on the board and not realize the clock's been, like, switched over to me and I need to swap it back. And, you know, that's something for me to get better at. But um, all things considered, I, I don't have to usually be... Um, super specific on the clock because as long as I'm kind of matching my opponent's, you know, uh, uh, style about it, I guess it, it yeah, works. I, I out.
1: definitely if, matching your opponent's energy is a great way to put it. I definitely do the same thing.
0: Yeah.
1: With the have you played in any of the games workshop events that don't enforce a clock? I'm just curious.
0: I have. Um, generally, I leave it up to my opponent, but and I, I try to have a clock available if they want me to play on one because i'm uh, available and can play on a clock but i don't do it i don't enforce the clock because of what i was talking about earlier where it takes a lot of time to play against my list and not only that but my list scores a lot early and so i don't like to if if the event doesn't enforce a clock i don't say like I, I would like to play on a clock or I want to right now, I leave it up to my opponent's decision and I give them as much information as possible to make that decision. Because oftentimes if we do run out of time or my opponent does run out of time and we have to call it where it stands, I, I'm going to be in a advantageous position. And I don't like winning like that. I don't like saying, all right, end of round three, let's call it dice down. And I, you know, uh, I'm scoring really high, but I you know, maybe I'm running out of resources. Instead- I can
1: appreciate that that's a really <laughs> easy rep to have, right? Like you're the Tyranid player or you know, you have the two hundred bodies, of course it ends on turn three. And you know, the only way to really track who takes the time and how that works is the clock. And I absolutely true. You know, I've played on the other side of this Tyranid army before, something similar. It does take a lot of time for your opponent to play against, especially if they're trying to make the right decisions and they don't have much experience against. So there's a lot of things to consider. Like people are not used to you moving in their turn at all. Uh, and people can overthink that for who knows how long. Perfect. So I, I really appreciate that you are trying to recognize that that is a, a real stigma and pitfall to fall into. And you're really trying not to ahead of the, ahead of the time.
0: Yeah, it's it's I think that what feels better is if. Generally, if I do lose with this list, you can tell pretty early that it's going to happen because I've lost too much resources too quickly and I haven't been able to block my opponent out that usually at the top of it, you can say, like, I think I'm going to lose this one. Like, I think I'm, I'm in, a, in a bad spot here. And I, you know, at the end of round three, maybe I'm winning, but I've lost so much that I can say I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say that I lost this. And that's why I try, like, I leave it up to my opponent because if we don't play on a clock, I do everything in my power to talk. You know out whatever is going on and so if end of round three it's very clear that like i'm struggling uh i i will just say that i've you know we'll talk it out and give it to my opponent because i don't it's not like oh yeah i'm you know i'm clearly losing you
1: have enough guns, you don't have enough (laughs)
0: exactly by end of round three you can generally tell who's going to win the game uh and so it doesn't I, i i hope and i feel that it generally doesn't feel like i'm you know uh coming across as like aha got you it's like yeah maybe we have to end at three but we know what would have happened um and that works out uh most of the time i i and if if it, if i ever play against someone and they don't think that's the case i hope you'll tell me because that's it's playing against this list i hope should be very fun i i i think that the endless storm list feels like tyranids it you're sending out tendrils of the hive mind and you're curling around the board and you're hampering movement and you're swarming over your opponent and they're killing so much of the bugs it feels like starship troopers like it's great um but i and i, I hope that that is an enjoyable experience win or lose and i want to do everything in my power to make that the case um because awesome. otherwise it's, it's it's a big bummer <laughs> for
1: sure well, Sam, I think we're at that time where we tell them about the list you actually took to LVO. This endless swarm that went all the way to the top four. Uh, what top to bottom did you take? Uh,
0: certainly. So I took a. Uh, I started with the basis of uh, a hive tyrant, uh, and I take eighty gaunts in my lists. Usually, I take twenty gargoyles and I take twenty hormagons. From there, I you can start to, to mess around with lists in um, uh, list form lists. I uh, added in 22 neurogonts with a neurotyrant attached. Um, that works out pretty well because the hive tyrant can give the squad advance and shoot. And because the character is attached, the whole like the normally neurogonts don't get to shoot, but the tyrants there, so they can do actions in advance, which is awesome. Uh, I have a biovore, which is, you know, you got to take the biovore. Uh, and then I have two neuro lictors, uh, a normal lictor, I have the death leaper, and then I have three venom thropes for some, some, you know, good buffs on the, on the back. Um, I, I think this list is really solid, to be honest. I'm, I'm extremely happy with how it performed, um, I think the biggest question in it honestly the biggest question mark that i was coming into the event with uh was do i run a turvagon or not um i originally did it at a lot of the tournaments i went to i played it uh, everwinter right before lvo and i took a turvagon to that tournament uh, and i went five and oh but i was, I couldn't help but think, like, man, I really wish I could fit three Exocrines. That's the last part of this list, is three Exocrines. Um, because Exocrines are incredibly cheap and aren't crazy durable, but they deal a solid amount of damage to a profile that I think the list needs to be able to deal damage to. Uh, and like
1: Terminators and things like that.
0: Like Terminators, like Chosen, like Inceptors, like Aggressors.
1: Because Exocrines are a bunch of strength AP to three damage shots, right?
0: AP3, yeah, <laughs> and they're heavy, and they're blast, and they reroll ones, and so it ends up being just a really efficient profile, and I just found myself continuously thinking, man, I wish I could run three. Like, I could only fit two in with the Turvagon, but, like, if I if I go any less gaunts, I start to, like, really falter at the end of games, so this is kind of the exact amount of gaunts I like. I don't want to, you know, take a... You know, I don't want to drop my Hive Tyrant. I don't want to really drop my lictors and stuff like that. Like, that's pretty useful. So I think I'm going to drop the turvagon, which, you know, the turvagon gives respawning bodies, so it makes it a little bit harder to say, like, oh, I'm going to leave that Termigant squad alive on, like, three bodies because you get to respawn D3 plus three. And it gives lethal hits, which is makes your Termigants extremely durable. But I think that... The things that that is good into, the list already is pretty good into, and I would rather just have uh, an Exocrine. And another thing on top of that, if it was just an Exocrine, I would go with the turvagon, but I get a Lictor with it as well. And having the singular Lictor is, I think I think the Lictor is a completely underrated...
1: Talk to me about this Lictor. This is the <laughs> only thing I don't like about your list. Why is I, it this I, I, Neural Lictor Neuralictor? Well, I don't mean,
0: know first of all it's a points thing but second of all i think that the lictor is so good right now because i think that there are a lot of li- leaders in you know in the meta right now where you have a uh, lot of characters
1: in the 41st millennium like yeah. the guy leading a squad exactly yeah
0: uh, and so you have a um Having a lictor who can who can push into a, a, a you know a unit with a character in it and, and take out that character fairly consistently like a um, you know he's taking
1: out a chaos lord that's happening
0: no not especially but that's not the important thing it's more like talking about the taking out the dark commune leader it's taking out the um, those like uh, canoptic leaders and the necron you know units it's it's taking out some of those. Um, like a couple of those space marine leaders or some GSC leaders and stuff like that. Like those are very useful. And more than that, the Lictor gets ingress for zero CP and like it gets a rapid ingress for free. And normally it's, you know, like, well, why don't you just ingress another unit? But in my list, I I spend my CP as it comes on respawn and then I have free strats. And so I don't have CP to spend on like other things. And so having a unit who can ingress in with low knob, so you can just drop 12 inches away after your opponent has moved, and you can say, look, you can't shoot me, you can't charge me, and the next turn I get to move eight and charge you, it is super it was useful every single game like it is it is always a useful unit that gets to say like i am going to put pressure on places that you don't want pressure i'm going to take out characters that are incredibly important or i'm just going to wait and then once you push forward i'm going to drop onto your back objective and i'm going to like charge your back objective and hold it for me like it i kind of
1: like it i mean (laughs) i Definitely. It fills a niche in your army. It's exactly the right number of points. That's always a plus. And it can also, as you said, raping is free when you can't afford that stratagem. I think that's a really good tool.
0: It's a super good tool. And Neuralictors are great. But I think in this list, more than two is not necessary. Because really, you want Neuralictors so that you can cover the whole board, or at least threat the whole board, so that when you call Shadow in the Warp, Whoever fails it on the opponent's side, you can put a Neuralictor in range of. You can just make sure that no matter where, you know, you have failed that test, if I want a unit dead, if the unit's a threat to me, I can put a Neuralictor near it within 12 inches, get plus one to wound against it, and put damage there.
1: So you're not valuing the Neuralictor for just causing a battle shock in the start of your turns every turn, because that can just keep your objectives nice and safe from people trying to wrestle them back. You're not even valuing that part, really.
0: It doesn't seem as important, just because it... It's not as consistent because you're not taking on a minus one. You have the death leaper, but the death leaper is going to die a lot of the times if he steps out. He only has a six-inch bubble of the the minus one leadership. So, the neurolectors are not as consistent if they're just doing the normal test. They're spread out, and they if you put another one down, you don't really need that extra loan up body just to be a loan up in this list. Like loan ups are nice for baiting people forward, but I already can do that with. Like, my opponent's already trying as hard as they can to get forward. Like, I'm doing everything I can to keep them from coming forward. So, I, I don't really need a loan up to like bait someone forward onto the point um, as necessary. Although, having a singular lictor that I don't have to care about as much when I go into like world eaters and I can just deploy the lictor on the line to make it so that you can't scout as far, that's super useful as well. Um, it just, it all ends up being a, a rather useful tool in a list that didn't realize it needed it i guess
1: (laughs) i think it's super clear that you have played the gajillion games with some race 60 i believe and you know it down to the details you know one not to shoot the termogons one to shoot the termogons one to take a solo lictor and rapid ingress it to to kill a dark commune leader what is that plan you know this is the kind of stuff you get after games and games and games of playing an army and that's the kind of repetition that allows you to play it so confidently through a nine-game, ten-game gruel stretch of LVO with the chess clock pressure, with all that stuff going on. And what I'm really interested in is continuing this conversation in Part 2, which will be available for our patrons. That's where we're going to go through your actual games played at LVO and kind of the the little deciding factors, the things you did to help you win them, where you put your models on the table, how you approached it, and kind of go through it step by step by step. So if you're interested in that, listeners, you can catch that on aow40k.com. You'll get access to this episode, the other 200 plus episodes we have, and our Discord server. Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. All right, everybody, we'll catch you in the Patreon section.
0: Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The War 40 kcom